I'm Cynthia James, and this network is about changing lives one woman at a time. Welcome to Women Awakening. I'm your host, Cynthia James. And every week, I get the opportunity and the honor of introducing you to another fabulous woman, a woman who has said yes to her life, a woman who has said, I'm here to bring my gifts and I will not be denied. And so all of these women are way showers. They are actually possibility people showing us that we live in a world of possibilities and we get to bring our gifts and our light and our power to this planet in a way that lights us up and inspires us. I'm so grateful that I get to do this every week. So I hope you will come back. We are on Spotify, Spreaker, iHeart, Amazon, and video on YouTube. You can also go to CynthiaJames.net and there's lots of resources there for you. So I want to introduce you to someone uh, that I met recently. (laughs) Her name is Grace Salmon. She is an entrepreneur, an educator, a speaker, and an author. She has started and managed two for-profit and two not-for-profit companies. She has traveled to 35 states and eight foreign countries. She's recognized in who's who in education and who's who in literature. And she has been utilizing skills built up over decades as she reinvents herself with her award-winning fourth book and debut novel, The Eves, as well as with a return to one of her early loves, radio. So she's always been in a quest for a good story. And she's a storyteller. And she's contributing to her new radio show, The Storytellers. And that's on broadcast on authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So, Grace, thank you for being here. Oh, Cynthia, thank you for having me and for the uplifting work you do constantly through your website, through your music, through your book, through this podcast. Thank you. Well, I I love being with women. I think it's our time on the planet. And so I want to start with how you grew up. I grew up on Long Island, New York. I was very much the typical, um, anybody in my age group, leave it to Beaver, Ozzie and Harriet, that, you know, perfect, at least on the outside kind of family. Um, Outside of New York City, my dad was a television director when I was born. And uh, my mom was Sicilian. And it was just great. I had brothers and sister and lots of family on my mom's side. So really a a wonderful growing up, not without many of the challenges that some of us face, but very much that kind of 1950s mentality. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so I want to ask you, though, did you want to be a writer as a child or was this something that developed? You know, I think, Cynthia, that I always wrote. I don't know that I thought I would be a writer because... Quite honestly, I was born and bred to be a housewife, you know, even though I'm the first generation in my family to go to college, the very first girl to go to college um, from my family. I remember thinking that what I really wanted to be was to be a news um, anchor. 
Uh, my dad moved from television directing to creating news networks uh, for ABC television. And I thought, that's what I want to do. And I remember this conversation with my mom so clearly where she said, well, who's going to put dinner on the table and have the children after school? So I don't think thinking I was going to be a writer was even in the realm of my thoughts, although I think all of my careers had an element of writing in them. So tell me, how did you know how to start four companies? <laughs> oh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, I know part of the theme of your show is invention and reinvention of ourselves. So I was working at a university and I was, I thought, happily married. And I had two kids and all of a sudden, all of that ended. Um, I was in what they call a serve at the pleasure of job in a uh, at the university. So a new vice president came in and I was gone within days. And then my husband decided he wanted a divorce. And I searched and searched and searched for a job and had no idea what to do. I was in higher education. I was the director of admissions and financial aid. And all of a sudden I was gone. Uh, so I answered a tiny little ad in the Washington Post that said, um, small group of businesses looking for someone to start a nonprofit. And I had two small children to feed. And I thought, well, I can figure out how to do that. So I went from uh, being unemployed to being the executive director of an organization that I created called the Business Institute for Educators. And shortly after that, I created a for-profit called GMS Partners, which was my educational consulting firm for nearly 30 years. And as part of that work, we worked in high schools, mostly in underserved communities around the country. That's where all those states come in that you so kindly mentioned in the introduction. And out of that, I created something called the National Career Academy Coalition, which was specifically to create schools within schools uh, within these large, mostly urban high schools. So it was necessity as the mother of invention. If you have to do it, you can figure it out. Well, yeah, but I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge that the reinvention also, there was a lot of courage in there and fortitude. It's like, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my kids and I'll figure out how to do that and then let it blossom into ways in which you can make a difference. And so was there a learning curve in learning how to do business on that level? A huge learning curve. And, and thank you for that kudo. I, I think so many of us, and I say women, particularly women who find their newly single moms are just really desperate to find ways to, I wouldn't say in my case, it was about taking care of myself, although the personal growth I had out of it was so rewarding, but it was really, you know, how do we take care of others? So many of us as women think of others first, and I do think it's so important to take care of ourselves. So the learning curve was huge, uh, but I think that, you know, it was largely the the women I found along the way too, who helped uplift me up. And that's so much of what I believe my work today and my mission today is. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. So, four books. Soon to be seven. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. So, talk to me about, you know, because it's not for the faint of heart to decide to write a book. As you well know. I do know. <laughs> so, talk to me about what inspired you to write the first one. And, and did you know what you were doing? 
Well, I had always written small pieces, articles, things like that. But I was in a business partner relationship and uh, that fell apart. You can see there's a theme here, you know. (laughs) So uh, my business partnership fell apart. But the gentleman that I was partnered with always said, you know, you have all this stuff. You create all these tools. You should put everything into a book. And I was like, I don't have enough time to do that. So when the business partnership fell apart, I made the time to write my first book. And I didn't really know how to do it. And it was self-published in the truest sense of the word. It was go to the local office supply store and say, could you spiral behind this? I think I made it look pretty enough. Um, So then I wrote two more books after that, which were picked up by Corwin Press, both in the area of education. And then I wrote my novel, The Eves. And that was a totally different learning curve. Um, Such a delight, such a challenge, very much the story of a woman who has lost her way and finds it through listening to the oral histories of women. And the women are um, all way older than the main character. The the main character is just about 60 and the other characters range between 70 and 90. And they are women of color and colorful women. And there's a lesbian couple and there's a Latinx family. And uh, I built it because it's the world I wanted to live in. I wanted to live in a world where people listened to each other's stories and had great diversity. And that book changed my life in ways that no other book has. Um, I did an interview on a radio show with a woman named Gail Carson. And Gail owned a radio station called Spunky Old Broad Radio, S-O-B Radio. And she interviewed me and we had a great time. And she called me the next day and she said, I think you need to have your own radio show. Show. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. Done. I, I wrote the book because I'm done. <clears throat> and she said, did you listen to your characters? Your characters are not done and you are not done. And that's what started the storytellers. And I realized then and there what I knew was that I didn't know a whole lot about launching a book. There are so many of us authors who have such a struggle with writing, publishing, and then marketing their book. So I started a second radio show called Launchpad. And that's where I've had the pleasure of meeting you to celebrate your glorious book and all that it does. And we started that. But as I did that, met more and more authors. I went, oh, my goodness, there are so many of us who need to lift each other up. And if I have a hallmark, I hope it's about creative collaboration. So I went, well, why don't I just write three more books? So we came up with Launchpad, the countdown to writing your book, Launchpad, the countdown to publishing your book, which is just out, and Launchpad, the countdown to marketing your book, which will be coming out in June. And then okay. I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else. I may be well, done. But this is so <laughs> incredible because here's the thing. Creatives create. You know, they write, they paint, they dance, they do. You know what I'm saying? It not necessarily is like, okay, now this is how you market it. Okay, now this is how you publish it. Okay, now that's not there. And so you're floundering around. And, and I would love to talk about this because so many women, I, I've done a lot of women work with women entrepreneurs and the fear of being totally visible and the fear of, of putting themselves out there, marketing themselves publicizing themselves is so strong, it pushes up against the creative. So so these books 
do what for them? Oh, it, it gives them the launch pad, which is exactly what I wanted. You know, it's uh, it puts them in touch. They're anthologies, so I can say that my name's on the cover, but I had very little to do with the content. Uh, and the, so it puts them in touch with 14 to 16 different authors uh, per book. So it gives them a network instantly. Each of the authors would love to be contacted. So we have book coaches. We have editors. We have marketers. We have publishers. Um, and, you know, some of the things, for example, in the marketing book would probably go across many genres of whether you're a singer or a dancer or whatever. It's how do you build your website? How do you build your brand? How do you uh, connect on social media? What is social media? You know, it's not isolated media. It is social media. So I think that this uh, marketing book, which comes out in June particularly, would be a help across uh, mediums, if you will. But uh, I like I said, I want to be about creative collaboration. I, I'm going to be 70 years old this year. I want to make it way easier for others than I found in launching my book. Well, I think that's so wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk to you about courage because everything you've said to me, okay, mom's saying who's going to make dinner, you know, and then all of a sudden, you're making dinner for your kids and the husband's gone. You're working in the business world. Where does courage come in for you? Oh, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm just demurring. Um, I, I am very much a spaghetti against the wall kind of girl, even though I know I should have a plan of where I want to be in five years. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 minutes. Um, and I don't know. I can look back on my life, Cynthia, and I can say, boy, that took risks or that took courage. But I think when I was in the moment of it, it was one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it really was just one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, people have asked me about, you know, my my business world. And I was like, well, I would love to tell you I had this fabulous strategy, but not really. Right. So I want to I want to talk about the eaves for a moment. Mm -hmm. Where did you research to find these women of wisdom? Oh, I, I love talking about the eaves. So thank you. Uh, I think the nugget for the main character was me at my most broken self. Hopefully, I was never quite as broken as Jessica, but I had lost my role as parent. My um, children were adults. I was closing down my educational consulting career of 30 years because 200 days a year is just too much to travel. And the cultural and high school climate was changing and it was time. I didn't have, I wasn't married at the time and was pretty sure that relationship wasn't going to work out. And my mom was deceased and my dad was elderly. So I knew that I would be losing him soon. So I asked myself, who am I without any of the roles that I was born and bred to live, let alone embraced as an entrepreneur, et cetera. So I created Jessica and I thought, how do I, what do I do next? I really do think I'm done. And when I said that I wanted to create a place that I wanted, it, I knew that I want women in my life. I want older women in my life. Um, when our stories are told, I think everything changes. That's the tagline of the book. So 
some of the characters, the, the main older woman character is an Italian woman who I thought was so old when I actually met her. Her name is Dolores, but in the book, she's Elizabeth. And uh, she was 70 when I met her uh, 20 years ago. So she's the, uh, now she's 92. So uh, I think it's funny how our perspective changes. I thought she, I'm going to be 70 this year and she was ancient. Um, so some of them are modeled on real people. Uh, certainly as an author, you yourself know, we weave in uh, people we know, even if we don't disclose who they are. So I knew that there were lessons that Jessica needed to learn. And so she starts cataloging the life lessons. There's a fabulous African-American doctor in the book named Tobias, and he owns the land. It's actually this amazing swath of land in uh, Maryland. And it came down to his family through the uh, 30, ac 30 acres and a mule. That's not right. The, but, you, but you know the legislation. Yeah, right. And um, so the land has been in his family for generations. And he's just so wise. But he tells her always be kinder than you need to be. First, do no harm. And she writes down these lessons. And they're on my website. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's websites. There's, there's a playlist on the website. There's recipes. But there's these life lessons that Jessica had to learn. Um, yeah. And so the wisdom of the ages comes down through those women, even as they, they are questioning themselves. You know, that they're between 70 and 90, and they're wondering what mark they will leave on the world. That's well, that's so beautiful. You know, I I I think sometimes in the culture that we live in, we don't really honor the wisdom keepers um, to help us navigate this thing called life. So what would you say is the greatest lesson you've learned through this process of the eaves? Um I think I, I my my personal motto would always be be kinder than you need to be. I think that I've always tried to be kind. I always uh, am authentic. I always want to be looking straight on into the eyes of the person I'm talking to, or quite honestly, walking by on the street. You know, I want to recognize the person in each of us. So I think that and this idea that we are here to be kind and to lift each other up and yeah. to use our talents. And, you know, you so beautifully do this introduction about saying yes to our talents and our possibilities. And sometimes it takes us till later life to find out what those are. And sometimes it takes us to later life to have the opportunity to do that because we've been too busy taking care of others or taking care of ourselves in a different way, perhaps through a job. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, are, are you in relationship today? I am married, delightfully married. Um, and it's so funny because when people read the book, The Eves, they say, all of your characters are so relatable. They're so real, except for this guy, Roy Gillis. Roy is just too perfect. He's just, you know, he cooks and he cleans and he builds things and he whistles and he plays an instrument and he's so nice to Jessica and they never have a fight and he's always understanding. And Roy Gillis in the novel, The Eves, is the least fictional character in the world. Um, he's my husband uh, to a T, uh, not that we don't ever have a fight, please, but pretty much it's, he walks in the door every day going, greetings, greetings. He's almost always in a good mood. And uh, 
we've been married. It'll be 11 years in October. Uh, I moved to Florida because I thought he was not going to ever make our relationship anything more that it was. And it was delightful. It just wasn't where I wanted to put all of my energies. And he thought moving to Florida when he was still in the D.C. area was not a good idea. So uh, we've been married 11 years and uh, very, very happy to be. Well, I I love that. And I love that you put him in the book. Because you. you know what? That's about possibilities. You know, I mean, people are struggling with relationships so much, you know, but to know that there are happy, connected, loving partners out there. I mean, gift, major gift. Absolutely. And I also have a lesbian couple in my book and their relationship as couple is very downplayed. There's a very sweet little scene where they're talking about how they fell in love. But part of that was I wanted it just there to be these normal love is love is love. Love is about loving each other. You know, uh, so, yes, and there are many happy endings. My book has a very couple of pretty dramatic twists at the end. So I'm not sure a happy ending is it's happy for some of the characters. Right. But it's real life. It's real life. So tell me about your being on radio. I mean, I, I know that the woman said you should be on radio, but did you really want to do that? And did you know what you were doing when you said yes? Oh, no, 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 no. And no, <laughs> uh, I think that uh, a character trait that I try to hard to uh reel in, but not very successfully. If somebody asks me to do something, I'm probably going to do it. You know, as long as it doesn't cause harm to myself or others, and I can humanly do it, I will do it. So um, when Gail said, you need to have your own radio show said, I said, oh, okay, that's okay. I, I might try that. And it was a little bit of a safety net. I used to volunteer at a place in Washington, D.C. called the Washington Ear. And it was a radio show that piggybacked, or the radio station that piggybacked on the bandwidth of uh, the NPR station, but it had nothing to do with it. They just shared their bandwidth. And it was for people with visual impairments. Mm. And I had a radio show called A Second Cup of Coffee. And it was a very light lift. Once a week, I went in, I had a cup of coffee. I said, hi, these are the magazines I've pulled off the rack this morning. These articles look interesting. Excuse me, I'm going to read this to you. Here's an interesting recipe. So I had a tiny bit of experience with it. But no, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything about the behind the scenes, which is sometimes daunting to get everything up, as you know, with your own excellent podcast to get everything up in the right places. But I was very attracted to Authors on the Air. It's run by a woman named Pam Stack. It's a group of about 40 to 45 authors like myself. And uh, we air on 153 channels. It's, very, it's kind of like a baby serious mm-hmm. radio. So we, uh, we run on 153 countries throughout the world. That is so incredible. So tell me, how do people find you? Uh, they can find me all over the socials. I'm at Instagram at Grace Salmon Writes. My name is spelled different, spelled like the fish, but spelled S-A-M-M-O-N. They can find me on Facebook on Grace Salmon and Grace Salmon Writes. I'm not as busy on my author page as I am on my personal page. They can go to my website where everything is, all my episodes of both radio shows, videos, fun things, uh, recipes, music, and that's at gracesalmon.net, not com, .net. 
I'm a net too. <laughs> so, um, so I I ask my guests the same last question. This show is called Women Awakening. What do you think is the most important thing about women awakening on the planet in this moment? Oh, my mom always used to say, to thy known self be true. Mm. And I think if we are true to ourselves, that opens the gift of positive relationships without us compromising. It opens the gift for us finding our truth, for us to find those gifts that we, I believe, are called to share. That's so beautiful. To thine own self be true. Well, I want to say clearly that has been your life and continues to be your life. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. Thank you so much for being here and um, sharing your heart. I'm humbled to be here. And thank you again. I, I love all that you're doing. And keep singing because that in and of itself is such a gift. Thanks so much, <laughs> Cynthia. Thank you. Okay, ladies, I say the same thing in a different form every week. This is the moment. This is your time. This is not the time to run, to hide, to pretend you don't have anything to offer because you know that you do. This is the moment that the world is waiting for, for you to step up, step out, and bring your light to this planet. This is the time for women emerging, and you are a part of this incredible destiny. 